Empire. Meet the spawn of the Sloan Analytics Conference. A lot of what we've been doing is just, you know, casual research where we go on different websites and we try to notice like cool trends with statistics. But then I would say our biggest project has been co-authoring this book to try to, you know, share our perspective on sports analytics with anybody who's interested in reading. Twin brothers Aiden and Maxwell Resnick will join us to talk about growing up huge fans of the numbers behind the sports they love. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. I like to end this podcast by saying the future is now. It has never really applied more than with today's guests, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick, twin brothers who have co-authored a book essentially professing love for analytics and the modern sets of data that are the new engine of sports. Our guest this week is twin teenage analytics wonderkins who co-authored the book, The Stats Game, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick. Thanks for joining us, guys. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. All right. So when I was your age, I was a huge sports fan. I'm assuming that is the case here with you. When I was your age, I was also into statistics, but man, did it mean a completely different thing. Take me through your background and how you kind of viewed sports through the lens of stats and analytics. Yeah, so we've been uh, sports fans our whole life. We, uh, we've always been interested in baseball, hockey, basketball, football, and even tennis. Um, and, you know, on a, I guess on a more of a side note, we've really been interested in math and, you know, statistics. I think math has always been our favorite core subject in school. And, you know, it was only recently when at a summer program we were exposed to sort of the intersection between math and quantitative analysis as, and uh, sports. And so that's really what led us to uh, want to study, uh, I guess, sports analytics as a field. And, um, you know, a lot of what we've been doing is just, you know, casual research where we go on different websites and we try to notice like cool trends with statistics. But then I would say our biggest project has been co-authoring this book to try to, you know, share our perspective on sports analytics with anybody who's interested in reading. So um, what did you learn about analytics that kind of changed your view about sports? Well, one thing that analytics is good but not perfect at is helping us filter out biases. Um, So when you watch a sports game, your eyes and your brain, I mean, to no fault of anyone, but it's just how the human brain works is very prone to biases. You're more likely to remember some plays over other plays, and it's impossible for the brain to truly depict how valuable a particular play is by a a given player. So with that said, analytics helps us look at a much more broad picture. One thing I want to clarify is that when we say analytics, that's often misconstrued as solely the study of numbers. But the way we look at it is it's more the study of information as a whole. Now, granted, uh, 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 the vast majority of that information happens to come in numerical form, but there are other ways that, uh, there are other non-quantifiable ways uh, that to evaluate a player or a team that definitely should be given weight and taken into account. Like what? Like um, what? Give me an example there. Like what? Yeah. So one example is, is how uh, is leadership, for example. It's hard to it's hard to put a numerical value on, on a player's leadership. Correct. Like for instance, take we just saw the Super Bowl. I mean, Tom Brady can only play on the offensive side of the ball, but 
but it, it, it is hard to imagine. It is hard to put a number on his overall impact as a leader and as a mentor for some of those players. And just because we can't really put a number on that does not mean it shouldn't be taken into account. It is obviously a very valuable thing. With that said, I mean, when, when analyzing Tom Brady's value as a player, the vast majority of that analysis will come through numbers. But like, like I just said, that's not to say that that other factors do not carry any weight. And similarly, uh, the age old word chemistry. Um, I don't know how you quantify that word, especially when you're talking about a team sport dynamic, right? Yeah. And so chemistry is, I think, like another example that we often like to point to uh, when talking about, you know, unquantifiable uh, qualities that are still very, very important to take into account. And, you know, I think the example we like to give is, you know, in, in the sort of middle of the decade in basketball, if you look at the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers, you know, they had very comparable talent. Um, but their results were not even close to uh, what they um, or what their talents should indicate. Uh, you know, the Warriors comp- were one of the best teams of all time. This was Kevin Durant. Um, they won the single season record. They, they uh, posted a single season record for most wins in a season. Uh, and um, meanwhile, the Clippers uh, really struggled and they could never really contend for a championship. And, you know, I, uh, on uh, a podcast after he left the um Clippers, J.J. Redick, um, J.J. Redick, the a Clippers shooting guard, often pointed to the Clippers locker room issues as a main reason why they really struggled to get going. Whereas, you know, everybody knows the Warriors as this team that just plays really, really well together. And uh, you look at now that version is probably the Brooklyn Nets, where people will often point to them and say uh, there might be chemistry issues there. They need to share the ball. But in reality, like we don't know what the chemistry issues will pose and oftentimes the media will sort of misconstrue the narrative about uh, exactly what chemistry will take place there. But it is very important to take into account. It's interesting you bring up the media. Obviously, um, you know, in my background, I have a long history of being in traditional sports media. Um, and and what I enjoy about doing the show and speaking to people like you about is there has always been, and it's now more prevalent, a different way to look at sports. And you at your age kind of, um, you know, really embracing that and wanting to be part of it is interesting um, to me. As you kind of surveyed how the media portrays sports, and I know that's complicated now because it's not just ESPN or major providers anymore. There's many different outlets. What does the media get right? and What does the media get wrong about covering big time sports? Yeah. So, I mean, nowadays, uh, sports talk shows are, are at an all-time high in terms of popularity. I mean, ESPN, but before before uh, we came onto the show, I was actually just watching a segment of First Take on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. And the shows are entertaining. But one thing that I, I find often is that they speak in complete generalities. And uh, if anyone is listening, I guess um, there's a, a very interesting segment on YouTube from about a decade ago when Mark Cuban went on Skip Bayless's show and completely, uh, I guess, ripped him for, for the way he, he speaks about players and, and says that it's just like incorrect and unprofessional in, in large part. So one thing I found with the media is that their goal is to generate TV revenue in large part. And sometimes providing the most accurate analysis isn't what's going to sell tickets or, or what's going to gain viewership. I mean, even if I find it interesting, the average person may not want to listen about listen to, about uh, Mike Trout's ex-woba uh, over a certain period of time. It's much more it's much more 
it's much more accessible to talk about his batting average, his home runs, his runs. Our yeah. Guys, that, that communicates to a much broader audience. So that's one thing. The, the media, uh, a, lot of, a lot of media members, and to no fault of their own, it's just the nature of the industry, uh, are, are stuck in a sense talking about uh, statistics that will, get, that will communicate to a much broader audience. Um, another thing is it, 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 they always portray players in, in this, I guess, protagonist or antagonist narrative. I mean, they, they always have to play, oh, of course, like game on the line, like Michael Jordan, he's going to hit the shot. Like, like that type of mindset where like they want to they want to over personify these players to an extent and make it because that creates a story like narrative and they benefit from a story like narrative. The story like narratives are very personable. Yeah. Now, if, if we think of players, if they talk about players and they only talk about their, their statistics and, and advanced metrics, that's not very personal. The average human being is not going to be interested in that. But when you create a more sto- a storyline behind that, Tom Brady leads his team a- 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 and Tom Brady wins his, his seventh Super Bowl instead of the Buccaneers holistic effort on on offense and defense beats the Chiefs which is a much more accurate headline then I I guess that's what that's the the headline that's going to sell tickets and gain revenue you know here's the other thing too and I want to see if you agree with this um what I have always found really interesting about this is that sports coverage inherently has to involve a lot of math even if it's rudimentary box scores right because how in the world do you tell this story without using the metrics that are available to you to tell the story i.e. this person's batting average is this i.e. therefore he is good right so it's always been there yet the the level that you speak about is always stereotyped almost to a degree by which it doesn't belong in sports coverage. It has a, for lack of a better term, like nerdish type attachment to it. And I've always felt that that was the wrong way to look at it, that there was a way more inclusive and wise way to portray the information that was there. But for some reason, I don't know what got in the way of it, but presentation in sports media has mattered and the math, even though it's a big part of it, when you deep dive the math, it gets stereotyped. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And I think what I would even add to that is that I think a lot of times as sort of math or yeah, I think a lot of times the, the term analytics or the term like analysis or anything that involves like math and like a deep like study of the game sort of uh, oftentimes will scare viewers away, especially, you know, viewers who aren't as interested in pursuing sports analytics. They're more just interested in being sports fans, which is obviously totally acceptable. But um, what I think oftentimes when you can find, like, subtle ways, but subtle but important, introduce this idea of math, this, to introduce this uh, idea of quantitative analysis to viewers uh, it be, in a much more, like, viewer-friendly way, uh, it, it can really spark a lot of interesting discoveries. Um, you know, I think that's one thing we really tried to do in the book where we really like a lot of our chapters were very example based where, you know, we talked about maybe advanced statistics, we talked about advanced analysis, but we talked about it through the lens of, you know, stories that they would understand. And so I completely agree with um, your point there. And the other thing I would sort of say to that is, and maybe it's just our own opinions, but we find the math behind sports to be, you know, really actually fascinating and and we find that it actually sparks sort of the most fascinating debates possible i do too i do too i couldn't agree with you more i do too right so like instead of you know these debates on uh on um 
like first take or, or a, a wide variety of these sports talk shows about, you know, which player is better in this specific situation or which player had a better career, you know, debates that may be a little fun, but they're not the most, you know, relevant to what's actually yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, I, I think debates such as, you know, should this team go for it on fourth down? Like, what do the numbers say? Or yeah. should this hockey team pull their goalie? Or should this baseball team pull their starting pitcher? Or should they bunt in this situation? Or should they should they have shot a three in the waning seconds of the game? Or should they have gone for an efficient two? Like, debates like that, I think, are really, really fascinating because, you know, it's such a, it's such a like, cool, like, game between the managers where I don't know that's something that we're really interested in and we really wish that you know sports talk shows would incorporate that I do think a great equalizer here and I'll see if you agree with this is going to be gambling um, because that is being incorporated very quickly into content and the math really matters there. If you actually want to have an advantage, you better know the math. So I wonder if you agree with that, that gambling may change coverage of analytics and stats and math uh, as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that in terms of this whole math idea, yeah. Uh, one thing, this kind of speaks a little bit on, on what my brother just said, but one thing you should know about us is that we are also competitive chess players. And that, on the surface, that may seem unrelated, but it's actually incredibly intertwined because when, when analyzing a game from the sidelines, like a fo say a football game, I mean, yes, the, the Super Bowl was a battle between the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. But in reality, it was also a, a, a chess match between one coaching uh, staff and another coaching staff. And I mean, anyone who, 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 anyone who, who analyzes the game would, would know instantly that the Buccaneers coaching staff demolished that of the Chiefs. And it was a truly fantastic performance on the sidelines as well. So th this idea is sports, it, 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 they're just, and I mean, sports are fun. They're fun to play, they're fun to follow, and they're fun to watch. And their fantasy football is fun. And there are a lot of fun things that come out of sports. And so when, when you hear like, oh, in order to gain an advantage, like you need to do math or something like that, considering math is like a more academic subject, like that, that seems off-putting to most. But with the, the um, with the amount of data that's publicly available nowadays for any sport, for any I guess mainstream sport, I should say, it is truly unbelievable. Like, and it's truly incredible to me how uh, there are people who are aware of this uh, data revolution and still choose to neglect it. That that's not to say. I mean, one thing I want to point out is that in the movie Moneyball, which I'm sure a lot of sports fans are familiar with, one thing that I don't like that is how it depicts is that. It, it, it makes it seem like it's either quantitative analyst or scout. There can't be both. <laughs> when in reality, each, each position yeah. provides a different but valuable role to an organization. Now, I'm neither of us are personally a fan of using the eye test to evaluate players. We much more prefer the, 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 the quantitative analysis and, and number approach to it. Um, but with that said, I mean, scouts can play a very valuable role in, in analyzing the, the person. Because, I mean, yes. at the end of the day, like, if you're drafting a player, you're not just drafting uh, 30 home runs this season, 100 RBIs, and a 300 bang average. You're drafting a person. Correct. A person that perhaps could help team chemistry, hurt team chemistry, be a locker room issue, or be great in the locker room. So that's the one thing I, I, I want to point out is that the, the, it, 
I think it, math, yeah, math can be scary to people in the sense that, like, they don't want sports to become a battle. Like, Garrett Cole, the pitcher of the Yankees, said, like, he, he doesn't want, like, he doesn't go up on the mountain and think, think like, oh, let's solve a math equation now. And he shouldn't think like that because that's not what, what his job is necessarily. But, but there's room for both approaches in an organization. Honestly, the organizations that use both efficiently and effectively are the successful organizations. Why did you guys want to write this book? Yeah, so we wanted to write this book because um, we, we have a lot about this to share. I mean, so, I mean, we've been sports fans since we were, since we could walk. So we, we've just spent hours and hours every day just debating sports, like, oh, which player's better? Like, oh, which team's better? And stuff like that. And, and we could do it for hours on end any single day. Um, but so we decided, that, I mean, let's put pen to paper here and, and create this project. I mean, over the summer, we had a lot of our, original summer plans canceled due to the pandemic. We had a lot more free time on our hands. So we decided to embark on this greater project in a sense. And I think that uh, it, the, the process, I mean, there were obviously difficult parts like like planning and stuff like that. And sometimes like it felt a little tedious, but like when it came to sitting down and writing, like I was just typing away and typing away. And, and it really just came easily because this is a topic we're both so passionate about. So what do you guys want to do? Do you want to be GMs? Do you want to be in front offices? Do you want to work with leagues? Like what's the next step for you? Obviously it was important enough to write a book on this subject. So what's next? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely uh, we're 18. So uh, it's definitely like obviously great to have like long-term goals. And I think both of us in the end would love to be general managers of professional sports teams. We love sort of that that mix between, you know, really immersing ourselves in the team culture, you know, regardless of what sport it is, but also, you know, embracing this mathematical approach to things and really introducing this, you know, this modern mindset to, you know, organizations. And we both truly believe that, you know, if we were ever afforded the opportunity, we could, you know, really change ways the sports are played. If we were, you know, if we were in football, we would really promote this, go for it on fourth down idea if we were in hockey we would really pull the goalie as soon as possible we're really interested in you know not only working in these sports but you know sort of paving the way for a new new uh new uh conventional wisdom uh in these sports you know i guess in more of a short short term uh we're very uh, excited to both go to college next year to really study a lot of you know related fields you know we're not necessarily majoring in sports analytics because that's not really a thing at most colleges but we're interested in studying you know, statistics computer science economics a lot of those you know very related fields and really just building a foundation and you know not only to how to analyze data but how to make decisions with data and you know the applicability of that extends way beyond sports so i think at this point we're really just interested in gaining experience and gaining insight into what life as a general manager would look like but i think that's really the end goal for both of us um, what colleges are you going to? So next year, I'm very excited to be attending the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and Max is still looking at a, a plethora of very good options. So he has not committed to a school yet, but um, he is very excited at the at the opportunities that will arise. So University of Chicago, you could get into economics. Then that's a big possibility for you, too, then, I would think. Yes, yes. It, it's it's going to be a very exciting experience, yeah. and both academically and uh, you know, being around a lot of great uh, professional sports teams in that city. Yeah, it will be really cool. All right. Last thing for you both, since you both mentioned you're, you're heading to college, you had the unfortunate reality of living your senior year of high school in a pandemic. So what was the experience like? Uh, I mean, I guess the best way to look at it is more time to analyze data and <laughs> sports analytics. I mean, uh, 
you have a lot more free time on your hands, which that could be good and could be bad. I mean, uh, overall, the, the pandemic, I mean, we, personally, so we go to um, Horace Mann School, which is in the Bronx, New York. Uh-huh. Um, so we we are sometimes, we, it's been a, a mix between in-person school and online oh, school. Oh, so okay. So, yeah. So we've been we've been both. Uh, currently, actually, we're we are supposed to be in person, but we have a snow day today. So, um, so yeah, it, we do have a lot more free time on our hands. But I mean, that free time, I, I think we've both been able to put it to good use. I mean, we, we're we're both just so passionate about this stuff, uh, uh, among with other disciplines. So it really is a, a chance to really take your time. I mean, currently, something I'm working on is I'm working on uh, how to create a, a, a model that will predict uh, college. Uh, success at the college basketball level to the NBA using factors such as statistics and overall combine measurements. Yeah, and I'm currently working on finding new ways. We're both big fantasy sports players, so uh, creating a new fantasy baseball projection model um, using primarily, you know, expected stats instead of, you know, actual outcome stats. So I think we're both really enjoying the time to ourselves to really do what we love. But at the same time, we also there's a big part of us that wishes we had more of a normal senior year in our high school. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, you guys didn't miss homecoming and prom that much. Maybe others did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick wrote the book, The Stats Game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. Thank you both so much um, for joining us. Good luck with the book and good luck in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. On the next Future Sport Podcast, hasn't the time come to get the delay out of streaming? You know, so the past three years, we've done this latency test uh, where we've um, basically taken six or eight different uh, uh, platforms that are streaming the game and compare them to what we use from a streaming technology standpoint and the broadcast and the actual action on the field. And what is probably the most amazing thing of all of this is that in the past three years, no, none of nothing's really changed much in terms of what these platforms are offering. That's Jed Korenthal, CMO at Phoenix, where the solution to real-time streaming is paramount to the success of in-game betting. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.